Hello and welcome to Huguenhoff Podcast, episode 120. Today we are going to be continuing the Inspired by the God series and we'll be talking about Heimdall. Before we get into that, I wanted to quickly go over the station news, which includes um, books. Lore has books and you should read them. Uh, just search Stephen Oaks on Amazon.com and he has a number of books there. You can find my book as well and the show notes are in or I mean the links are in the show notes. So <clears throat> check those out if you want to. Also feel free to check out my website, which is hugenhoff.org. That's www.hugenhoff.org. And feel free to send me emails at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. I actually just found a bunch of emails that I missed ages ago. So if any of those people are listening and I took like 10 years to respond to your email, I do apologize. Um, it's hard to remember to check my emails sometimes so i do check them eventually and i will get back to you if you write so thank you everybody for sending emails i actually got some really good ones that i enjoyed so without further ado i think it's time we go ahead and jump into today's topic which is heimdall so again this is the inspired by the gods so i'm not going to go into great detail on who heimdall is i think we've talked about that before I can't remember the episode. It was way back, like 39 or something. So like super far back. But this isn't so much about, this series isn't so much about the God as the thing the God makes me think about. So who is Heimdall? Quick recap so we know what I'm talking about. Heimdall is most famously, I think anyway, the, the watcher. He can um, see grass grow and hear the wool of the sheep grow. So, you know, he's very observant. So what is Heimdall's purpose, quote-unquote? His purpose is to warn the other gods when Ragnarok comes. So when the giants attack and Ragnarok begins, Heimdall hears them because he is the Watcher, and he blows his horn and everybody gets ready. So if that didn't happen, everything would just... Well, you know, it'd be a surprise attack, and then perhaps the gods wouldn't win because you'd have... Because, like... The Giants would have a surprise round. And yes, I'm using D&D terms to uh, explain actual battles that happen, which is silly. But being surprised is very detrimental. Like, in reality, being surprised would be very detrimental. The gods and the Einherjar would not be ready. You know, who knows how the battle would go. Probably not the same way. So Heimdall's job is very important, is what I'm saying. Because I think it's easy to be like, oh, well, he's just sitting there waiting. He's just the watch. But the watch is really important because you have to constantly be aware. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like cybersecurity. You know, the hackers only have to get it right once. They can try to break into your site and fail a million, literally a million times. And whatever, no big deal. But if you fail as someone protecting the site one time, the site gets hacked. And it's very much the same way with the watcher. It sounds like an easy job because you're quote unquote just watching, but you have to be constantly vigilant. I am not constantly vigilant. There are many times I'm not vigilant. I take breaks. Most of us do. But Heimdall does not. He understands the importance of his job and he is constantly vigilant, which I think is something uh, something that really deserves praise. You know, it's so easy to be like, okay, well, I'm training so I'm ready because that is something active that you're doing. 
just being aware of your surroundings, but hyper aware of your surroundings for, you know, however, however many years, you know, a, lo a lot is very difficult. So I think his job is a lot harder than sometimes people think it is. And I think this is probably kind of, okay, so also just so I address this, he is also very wise and knows a lot of the lore and the history. Perhaps it's because he's been watching the world so long he's picked these things up, but he's a very intelligent and curious god, which I guess you'd say is secondary, but it's only because the watching aspect is so important, but sometimes it gets forgotten. And I think it's something we should remember. But back to the watching, because this is kind of where this is going. This also applies to people. Like, there are people in the world who have the job of the watcher, which is, you know, it's easy to, to think that job is easy. To, it's like, oh, you're just looking at stuff. Like, your job's not important. You just have to radio somebody else when something happens, and then they take care of it. That is important. It's so easy to zone out. I zone out constantly. Unfortunately, in my job, that's okay because, you know, I'll catch myself zoning out and I will have been literally staring into space for five minutes like, whoops, back on track. And then I get back on track and I do my, like, active thing. But if you were a different profession, if you were a watcher profession, like a security guard maybe, or somebody, I mean, that's the most obvious, right? Like a security guard is definitely... They have to watch and be constantly aware of their surroundings. And it's also a job that I think can sound easy until you really think about how observant you have to be. Another example might be like some of the safety officers who like watch nuclear power plants, like just to go crazy over the top. Or, you know, maybe something as simple as inspectors who have to inspect the line for the USDA to make sure our food is safe. If they zoned out, if they weren't paying attention, they could miss something that could adversely affect, you know, who knows how many people. Every time there is a recall and people get sick from something or the other, that's a big deal and affects a lot of people. So imagine if the actual inspectors were not doing their job, that kind of stuff would be happening all the time. Again, I think the security guard is the most obvious because they have to, they have to actually watch the environment around them. And they have to be very aware of everything in the environment around them. So, um, so what am I getting at? I guess I'm getting at those jobs are important. And Heimdall does one of those important jobs. So I guess there's two things. First of all, let's appreciate those jobs. Let's take a moment to say, like, those are important jobs. The jobs that are quote-unquote just watching are actually very important, be it some sort of security guard or some sort of inspector position or whatever it is. If, if somebody's job is quote-unquote just to observe, let's take a moment and realize that's actually extremely important. The whole quality control sphere is very important, and it's really easy to forget about it. You know, I'm going to talk about video games because I like video games. I, it's my bias. I apologize. I like video games a lot. In a video game, you know, like the, the rock star... Well, okay, so like you've got like the... 
the directors and producers and the people who actually make the games, those are like high publicity place um, positions. Like everybody knows the name Miyazaki. Um, those are like some of the big rock star positions. But then if you think about the actual game development, the developers are, are less rock star, but the position in, a, in the general sense of the word is a rock star position because who hasn't wanted to be a video game developer at some point in their life? Who doesn't think it's cool to be a developer? And, and you know, maybe I, I don't know the developer's name, so they're not as big as the people who are actually like writing and producing the games. Still, video game developer, that sounds like a cool job. That's a dream job. You're like, oh my gosh, you're making the video game. Those people get a lot of credit. But you know who doesn't get a lot of credit is the people who do quality control and the test players and now this has come up in the video game news and i will not get into it because it's outside the scope of this podcast but what ruins a video game is it bad programming okay i mean sort of is it bad advertising maybe but you know what usually ruins a video game and the reason games just kind of fail at launch is because there's bugs and why are there bugs is it because there's is it because of bad programming sort of if the programming was perfect there'd be no bugs but it's impossible to have perfect programming like i just i don't think it's humanly possible you are always going to have bugs in the production process it's because there wasn't enough quality control the there wasn't enough testing on the games to find all these bugs i really do think when video games release with a ton of bugs, it's because they weren't tested enough and they were probably trying to hit a deadline. It's like, oh, well, quality control, they're not that important. We'll just do a couple rounds and not give it the time it needs. But that will destroy a video game. Just skipping that observing step where it's literally, hey, person, play this game and tell me if anything weird happens. It sounds easy, right? Oh, I get paid to play video games. This is a dream job. Well, it's not easy though. It's really important that you do that and then properly report all the stuff that happens. So again, that's like an observation part of, or that's an observation type job that can really make or break a video game. And I think there's almost always bugs when you release a video game, but the number of them, if there's too many, it really will destroy the video. It really will destroy the game and just make it, you know, in some places unplayable in other cases, just hard to play. And you're going to lose a lot of goodwill. And, you know, if I, you know, it's unfortunate. It's not fair, maybe. But if you release your game in a bad state, it is very hard to recover from that. Nine times out of ten, if your game release is buggy, like really unplayably buggy, it's just gonna, it, it's not gonna succeed. It's gonna fail forever. People aren't going to go back to it in two years and be like, oh, well, now they fixed all the bugs and I like it. This is a good game. That's not what happens. People don't go back to games. There are exceptions. There's a whole No Man's Sky redemption saga, which is great. I, I love that story, but that's not usually what happens. What usually happens is you lose the goodwill of the players and they never go back to the game. So I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole with video games, apologies. Bringing it back on track, what I'm saying is you need to be aware of the problems that are going to happen before they happen. Much like with Heimdall sounding his horn before 
the Giants arrive. You know, if he waited for them to be at the gates and then sounded his horn, that's not going to be any good. You need to be aware of problems before they happen. So now I'm going to transition into the part of what do we do with this? Well, let's assume you're not in one of those fields. You're not a security guard or a quality control person or a tester or you're not a job that's first and foremost observation. If you are that job, you have a very direct link to Heimdall and, you know, use this as a way to say your job is important and what you do um, is extremely important. But you probably already know that if you're doing the job. But what about the, the rest of us who aren't in those jobs? What do we do with this information? I think what we can do is realize just how important it is to watch and be aware of our surroundings. Um, it's very easy to get distracted and zone out of things. And I think this is probably some, this, these stories and understanding Heimdall can tell us that let's not do that. Let's always be around aware of our surroundings. Partially because it's unsafe to not be aware of your surroundings. You know, there's always the story of someone tripping or falling in a manhole because they're looking at their phone. So like there is like this safety aspect of it. Let's pay attention because it's unsafe not to. That's important. Let's admit that's a thing. We should always try to be watching so we don't get taken unaware or robbed or something. Yeah, that is important. But I think the real importance is just to be aware of the world around you because the world around you is a beautiful place and life is a beautiful thing and we only live it once. So we really need to be taking it all in and let's not let ourselves get distracted and forget the beauty around us. I feel like I've brought this point up before because I feel like it's something that comes up with a number of the gods. But I think it's so easy in today's society to be hyper-focused on the things we're doing, like I need to finish this project at work, or I need to pay these bills, or I need to clean the house, that you forget to live in the moment. And you know, when you're at work, you should probably be working on that project. You probably shouldn't be like, oh, these flowers are really pretty. That's not the right time to do that. You do need to fit your work in. You should be aware of your surroundings. So, you know, a ceiling fan doesn't fall on your head. But for the most part, you should be focusing on your project or your clean or whatever you're doing. But when you're not at work, or you're not actively cleaning, I think it's really important to spend some time in the now. And this is super cliche, I understand. Like, live in the moment. Um, like, who doesn't say that? But maybe it's cliche because it's actually good advice. You should spend time living in the moment. It is really important to, to not get trapped in the past or the future. And I mean, I could go on a Facebook rant about how Facebook makes you live in the past, but I'll, I'll refrain. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But if you live in the past, which is an easy thing to do, and I'm sort of going on a Facebook rant, but it's Google, so it's different. But Google always shows me these like images of when the kids were little. The kids are still little. They're, they're like six. But like when they were ba babies or 
toddlers. And I'll look at those and I'll be like, oh, that's cute. But I find myself oftentimes getting like drawn into like, oh, remember when? And I don't want to fall into the, oh, remember when? It's not time for that because the kids are still at a great age. Like I just had a great conversation actually, ironically about Heimdall with them. They're at that young impressionable age where they're cute and curious and they're children and they're wonderful. I don't want to think about the past because I have a future or I don't want to think about the past because I have a present to enjoy. And then, of course, the flip side is the future. You know, I could be thinking about what they'll be doing in high school, but I don't want to do that because I want to spend actual time with them now and actually appreciate what's going on now. And I think it's so easy to think about the past. And that's ultimately just a waste of your time because you can't change the past. If you think about the past, I guarantee you're going to come up with something you regret. I, I do. There's all sorts of things I would have done different in the past if I could go back and change them. But I can't. And, and then, I mean, you've got like the Nietzschean argument that if the past was different, you would be a different person. So if you change the past, you change yourself. So to actually want to change the past legitimately means you want your current self to be different and you shouldn't want that. Um, you should be able to embrace the past because you love your current self and you understand that the past, even though bad things happened and things that maybe you would have done different if they happened in the future, you still need to embrace those things because they made you who you are. And I mean, that's a nice way to think about things and probably a healthy way to think about things. But what I'm getting at is... If you look at the past, you're going to think about things you wanted to change. I, I mean, okay, let me put it this way. There's only two things that can happen when you look at the past. You can think about things you wanted to change, but you can't change them, so you just get frustrated. Or you want to relive those moments from the past, but you can't. They're gone. So you get frustrated. So, like, nothing can happen thinking about the past that's positive. Except there is an exception, of course, there always is. You should look at the past and see how you would have handled things differently just so you can be prepared for the future. You know, you should take a moment to say, like, I have made these mistakes in the past. What can I do to make sure I don't make them in the future? And that's something I try to do. But as far as, like, reminiscing about the past, I think there's a lot of danger in there. So then you say, well, what about the future? The future is totally open for change. Why am I observing the present when I could be planning for the future? Well, you do need to plan to the future to an extent. You need to say, like, I'm going to be, I'm probably, you can't say I'm going to, but I'm probably going to be alive for 10 more years. So, so I probably shouldn't quit my job and do whatever is fun at the moment. I should probably keep a job. I should probably try to um, make my career better if I'm not happy with it where it is. You know, stuff like that. But I think the way that should work is you should find a time, sit down, say, what am I doing to make the future better? What am I doing to plan the future? And make those decisions and then stop and then reevaluate them on some type of basis. Maybe it's monthly, maybe it's weekly. It shouldn't be daily. Daily is too much, but maybe it's monthly or weekly. You know, you say, am I happy with my goals? Am I happy with the progress? I'm making towards them. If I'm not, what can I do different? But, you know, make a time to plan for the future. But then don't think about the future. Because once you've made your plan and you've done the actions you can do to make that plan come to fruition, 
there's nothing else you can do. You know, if you say, I'm going to work extra hard at work so I can get a promotion, and then you work extra hard, you know, let's, let's just say you work extra hard all day, and then the day ends, and then you're off work, sitting there saying, like, I should keep working extra hard. Extra hard work is going to make this happen in the future. Okay, you can't just, saying it over and over again is not going to change it. Make the plan. Stick to the plan. I'm not telling anybody to not think about the future because that's wrong. You should think about the future. But you should plan for the future, but then live in the present. Because if you're living in the future, you're living in somewhere that doesn't exist. It's not real yet. It will be real eventually. But then you won't be living in it because you'll be living in the new future. When the future becomes the present, all of a sudden you're not worrying about the present. You're worrying about the new future. And, you, and that's not good. You need to appreciate what you have right here. You need to appreciate the present. So I think a lot of what Heimdall is talking about is this whole like live in the moment mentality, which I think is actually a really healthy mentality. Can you take it too far? Can you be absurd with it? Sure you can. You could be like, oh, well, right this second I want a funnel cake instead of to be at work. So you quit your job and you go make a funnel cake. That's not living in, that's not exactly living in the moment. I, I know maybe it sounds like living in the moment, but that's not what I mean. That's ignoring the future to live in the moment and also to live in a rather gluttonous way. That's not what I'm talking about. Living in the moment is I'm at work, so I'm going to do the best that I can so that I feel proud of because the feeling of pride comes with that, but I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing. But also keep the future in mind. But in the back of my hand, in the back of my mind, that's living in the moment. And you know, when you're and if you think, hey, I want a funnel cake, you can have a funnel cake after work. You know, as long as you don't have a funnel cake for dinner, like it's a dessert thing. You can have your funnel cake, and you can live in the moment when you have it. But the thing is, yeah, of course you can take this too far. You can, it's, all, it's always a balance, right? You can ignore the future and ignore the past and then live in the moment. But it, that's, that's also not healthy. You need to be aware of the future, be aware of the past, but live in the moment. And I do think that's what Heimdall's doing. He is existing in the moment. I don't think he's just watching. He is watching because he's living in the moment, but thinking of the future. He is watching because that's his job. But he is also learning and enjoying the time that he has, I think. I think that's why it's said that he's wise, that he knows lots of lore, because he's not, he's not watching just for the future. He's watching, he, he's watching, but he's also enjoying the process of watching and learning as he goes along. Anyway... I don't know if that was useful at all, but I'm done because if I go further, I'll just start rambling incoherently. Um, what I will leave everybody with is live in the moment. Find joy in the moment because there is much joy to be found in the moment. Yes, think of the future. Yes, learn from the past, but live in the moment and enjoy the moment. And please go out there and read some stories about Heimdall. Heimdall has a lot of stories. His origin story of, of his nine mothers is is interesting um there's a lot of good lore out there on heimdall that you could look into um oh the lay of reg that's a classic one i didn't even touch on the lay of reg that's almost an entirely different aspect of heimdall 
Heimdall is probably an underappreciated god. He has a lot of lore and a lot of interesting lore. And I focused in on the Watcher aspect. That's not his only aspect. The, the Lay of Reg is a completely different aspect about society and structure and stuff like that. It's a really interesting story, which is a completely different side of Heimdall, to the extent that some people think that it would make more sense if it was Odin, if Rig was Odin. And and that's a theory to read too, but the Lay of Rig is a great uh, story to read and think, like, what does this mean? What are they saying? What does this say about Heimdall? Um, there's a ton of lore on Heimdall, and I think all of it is is really interesting. So it's definitely something that you should take some time reading if you have not already. Um, but today's podcast was mostly about his aspect of Watcher. So let's take a moment to remember just how important living in the moment is, but just how important watching is and just how hard it is to be constantly vigilant because Heimdall is constantly vigilant. Um, so yeah, let's just take a moment to thank him for everything that he does. So with that, I am going to wrap it up. Thank you everyone so much for listening and I will talk to you next month. Oh, I forgot to do the closing. If you want to check out my website, feel free to do so. It's hugenhoff.org. That is H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. Feel free to email me at hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. I will probably respond to you eventually. And the last thing, subscribe to my RSS because as you probably know if you've been listening to a while these go up around the first of the month it's very rarely that they drop on the first it's usually like the first week if you subscribe to the rss it just drops into your podcast player of choice that's how i listen to podcasts and it makes it easy so uh feel free to do those uh it's just on the podcast page there's an rss feed you can click all right so again thank you everybody for listening and i will see you next month for a hell.